Hey Seacoast family, my name is Dominic. I'm Tara. I'm Asher. And I'm Amalia. And we're the Nuncio family. Today's Advent reading is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 9, 10, and 16. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. This candle represents love. We remember God's promise to Israel of a Messiah who will demonstrate God's love completely and rejoice that God has demonstrated his perfect love in sending his son, Jesus Christ. Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you. Don't you love when you have the kids? They don't even need to sing. They just need to stand there for like two minutes and it's cute enough. And like, yeah, that's great. That's all we need to see. I love it. You know, uh, my wife and I were saying to you, the other thing that uh, I like about that is you kind of forget about our superstar kids ministry volunteers, huh? The ones who, yeah, and some of you are first service ones. When I see them and you realize, oh man, they do so much week after week. So those of you who volunteer uh, with our kids, we appreciate you. It's such a, uh, you know, you don't get a lot of spotlight for that, but it's, uh, I love it. So appreciative. Well, we are in a series, we're, called home, we're calling it Home for Christmas, and it's been fun to see some of our college students making it home for Christmas. I know there's, uh, most are back by now, I think, so welcome back for those of you college students who are here today. Uh, we're so glad to have you with us. This series, um, we decided this year, instead of, if you've been with us, instead of kind of doing the weekly talk and going through all the, the story of Christmas with the manger scene and all that, we've been looking at kind of more in-depth the theology of why is this story in the Bible? Why does it make sense? And uh, so that's kind of where we've been going, and I've been really looking forward to it. As we uh, go through this week, I was thinking about this week's message, and I was remembering back to when I was a kid, there was a TV show on, and it was on PBS. Yes, I would see it every once in a while on Saturdays uh, when you only had like 12 channels. Remember those days? And there was a show that was on every once in a while. Well, it was on every Saturday, but I'd see it every once in a while. And it was called This Old House. Anyone know what, know what I'm talking about? It was like, uh, I think Bob Vila, Vila and then a guy with a really strong Boston accent who, who was always like, yeah, we can fix that thing, you know, whatever. That did not sound Boston. That was terrible. Rewind that. Redo, let me redo it. Um, but anyway, uh, so, but they would work on it, and I realized that it was like in the course of a year, they remodeled one house. Could you imagine if we watched home improvement shows today where it was like that? Like, we're going to show you how to put the beam in this week, and, and that, was, that was the show. But it's interesting that that inspired now this whole industry where we have HDTV, we have all these channels that just talk about remodeling homes, upgrading your yard, all those things, and we're somehow fascinated with all this stuff. Just look at the industry. You have Fixer Upper. We have celebrities who they're, whole, they got, they're celebrities because they remodel houses. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? So you have shows like that. And I was thinking, what is it about us that we get so fascinated at watching other people remodel their homes? And I think part of it is one, you know, we're looking for ideas, right? And, and we're trying to see what we want to do. And we're Maybe part of it is, is just a lack of satisfaction, or, we're just, or we look at, oh, you're remodeling a home, and it's snowing outside. I'm grateful where I live, um, or whatever it might be. But there's a term that I've seen on a lot of these shows now that they use that I never heard growing up, and the term is your forever home. You ever hear that? 
they would say, is this your forever home or not? Like, I, I didn't even know that was a thing, a forever home. So what people, I guess what they mean is, is this a house that you will never leave the rest of your life, is what they mean. And if it is, you want it to be exactly how you want it. You want a backyard where you can relax and you want the kitchen of your dreams. You want all of that because this is your forever home. And when I was thinking of that this week, where we're going with our Christmas series is today we want to talk about our true forever home. See, in this series, we started off in week one. We looked at why is, with Home for Christmas, why do we even have this in the story? Why is Christmas a part of the Bible? And we saw that we were all longing for home, that we knew that things are not as they should be. Even if you ask someone who doesn't believe in God, there's a sense that most people have that the world isn't as it should be. Something's off. And so we long for home. We long for things to be right. In week two, we looked at this idea of why did God become flesh? Why does that actually make sense that God was born and lived as a human? And we saw that he made his home among us and the significance of that and how he offers us uh, not only forgiveness of our sins because he is the only one who, it, who was able to do that. If he was just a good human, he could maybe make a, a, a sacrifice for one person, but being fully God, an infinite God, then it was enough for all of us. So we saw that he made his home among us and what that did for us, for salvation, what it does for our eternity and how it creates a new humanity. Last week, we looked at how he's building a home among us. And that means now we're called brothers and sisters in Christ, that he's building this new kind of home because he came and existed. And today, we're looking at how his coming leads to a glorious ending of the biblical story, or why it matters that because he came, that this leads to our true forever home, eternity with God. So that's where we're going today, and I want to invite you to pray with me as we get started. God, we thank you so much again uh, for the story of Christmas. For many of us, Lord, it, it is really familiar and though we have a deeply held belief that it's true, sometimes it just, we take it for granted. And so, Lord, as we examine your scripture and we look into why you came and what that does for us, would you awaken our hearts anew? And would you, Lord, help us to see you and understand your amazing love and your sacrifice you gave for us, but, God, also the calling you give to us because you came. So speak to us in this place. Change and shape our hearts today, God. We pray in your name, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles. We're going to be in two different places. I'll have most of the verses on the screen for you, but for those of you who like to follow along, we're going to be in John chapter 14 and also in 1 Corinthians 15. So if you like to follow along, if you're new to Scripture, uh, the book of John is about uh, three quarters of the way through your Bible in what we call the New Testament. And 1 Corinthians is just a little past that also in the New Testament, towards the back. Uh, and we'll, like I said, we will also have these on the screen for you. So let's start off, and I want to start off in John chapter 14, because this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and in this story, this is after uh, all of his miracles, this is after a life lived among them, and he is about to uh, be handed over and crucified. And this is one of his last conversations he has with his disciples. And so we've already learned through the life of Jesus about his birth and the indwelling of God, what that meant and how it actually fits in the biblical story, how it isn't 
just some myth, uh, mythological you know, rumor that we follow, but it actually is logical. It makes sense when you read the whole story of Scripture together. And so Jesus, now as he gets to the end of his days, he shares this with his disciples, and I want you to hear it. He starts off in John chapter 14, verse 1. He says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms, If that were not so, I would have told you, because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I'm coming again, and I will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you will also be. So in this moment here, I I want you to see a couple things. First, as it starts, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's about to be handed over. This world could not be getting worse for them. And he looks at him, he starts, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Even what you're about to experience. He says, because I want you to know that I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there's many rooms. Now this, this passage, many of us have used as this idea of heaven and what it might look like. And, and I would say some of, this, some of our imagery about heaven that is wrong comes from this passage comes from some of our ideas. But before we even get into some of what Jesus is really talking about, I just want to take a moment and and think of all the images you have in your head when I talk about heaven. What are the images in your head? Even the ones you know are not correct, but you have them anyway. They're in your head. And, And many of our ideas of heaven are influenced by art, by movies, and 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 cartoons, to be honest, right? Uh, we were joking about just the far side. If you remember the far side cartoon, it's like that's where my picture of heaven and hell came from, right there, right? But so think of all of your images, what comes to mind if you think of heaven, okay? Even if you know, okay, I know this is wrong, but this is what I think of. What are some of those? So just shout them out. What do you guys think? What are some of those? Clouds, clouds. yes. How many of us? Oh, yeah, for sure there's clouds. What else? Harps. Gold streets, pearly gates, yeah, harps, okay. What else? Halos, yeah, floating around with halos, okay. Gates, yeah, gates. Of course, yeah, the St. Peter has to be there. It's the start of half the jokes we had as kids, right? He's waiting for you to come in, asking you why. Come on, students, what's, a, what's an image of, of heaven? White, yes. I mean, how, how many of us just think, of, when you think of heaven, whatever it is, it's bright white, right? Everything's painted. We're inside a hospital now. <laughs> a throne, okay. Yeah, good, good. I would, one, one more. Angels, yeah, for sure. There's angels, and the angels are pretty, they're pretty nice looking, right? They're like precious moments. Not you. Okay, you have a deeper theological view of them. Yes, that's good. Most of us, the angels that we think of that come in our heads, are they're just like, oh, they're nice. I would not be afraid to see an angel in an alley at night, right? The image I have. But when I read the Bible, I don't, I don't even want to see an angel. And I mean, they, they sound scary, right? Old white men with a beard. Okay, yes. I used to, yeah, I, I think of Morgan Freeman sometimes when I think of like, you know. <laughs> that like godly voice when he talks yeah so some of our images of heaven they come from all of us i know one thing i didn't hear i didn't hear anything about mansions they wouldn't think of like big houses and yeah those kind of things so 
this passage, this word where he says, in my father's house, there's many rooms. Uh, this is a, just a Greek word that's used a couple times, just I think twice in the New Testament. And uh, it really is a residence or a dwelling place. Now, the King James Version translated this to be many mansions. And uh, so for hundreds of years, people have had this imagery of mansions in heaven based on how they translated this. Um, but if we really start to think through the logic of that, of if, does that make any sense? It doesn't take long for us to think, wait, how, what would that look like? Does everyone have a mansion? Are some mansions better? Whose mansion is like highest on the hill? You know, you start thinking of all that, and then you think, wait, but if in heaven there's no crying, there's no pain, there's no jealousy, so would it make sense, you know, that we're dwelling, and, and why are we dwelling in mansions? What, how, many, how many bathrooms do you need in heaven? That's, I mean, I just, these are my, this is a seminary question that you go around. <laughs> But really what he's talking about here is there's something about there's many dwelling places. There's residence. There's room. Now, this also is related to the word tabernacle in the Old Testament, which represented the presence of God, where God dwelled. So there's some thought, some scholars would say this, that he's actually referring to uh, Christians, and we are now the dwelling place of God on earth as, as we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 said that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Those of you in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Similar language. Now it could be that, um, or what he's describing of whatever it is, it is God's presence is dwelling among you, among us. And there's room for everyone. Now, we're going to get into it a little bit in just a moment, but Scripture actually teaches us that God, Jesus is making, there's a renewed heavens and earth. There's a new heaven and earth. So there's this idea that heaven could actually even be a place that is not the Belinda Carlisle song of heaven is a place on earth because you're in 80s kids. Come on, 80s kids. Um, but literally, that God is making a new heavens and new earth. That if we look back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 1, and we look to Revelation, the end of Revelation, we get an image of what heaven might actually look like. And in the beginning, what do we know? God dwelled among mankind. There was no separation. There was no relational conflict. There was no sin. It was, we were in the presence of God. He dwelled among us. And it was described as paradise, a garden where there was nature, there was trees, there was, it was 75 degrees and sunny every day. There was no mosquitoes. This is before sin. So this was like, but is this perfect existence? So there's reason to believe that our eternity, we could have some experience where it still is some sort of a renewed earth. Now, we're not going to get into all that today, but that starts to change the picture a little, doesn't it? And, and when you go surfing in heaven, the waves are always perfect and never, the water's never cold. Does that sound fantastic? Okay, maybe not. We don't know exactly what it looks like, but one thing we learn from here is there's a renewed home, a dwelling place that God is creating. The teaching of Jesus is he says, I go prepare a place for you. I will come back again because where I am, there you will be. In my presence, as in the garden. No separation at all. It's the presence of God and no existence of sin and no effects of the curse. And the curse is all of our sickness, disease, pain. All of that has been removed. We're in the presence of God and there's room for everyone to dwell in his presence. 
So what we find here, according to Christ, is because he came, he gave us a way to have access to the Father to go back to, if you could think of it, back to this existence in the Garden of Eden as we looked at two weeks ago. His life brought redemption, and there's a dwelling place that's for you and for me. What's another thing that we learn about our eternity, our forever home? Uh, Not only will we have a renewed dwelling place, but we're going to have a renewed life. And it's now and for eternity. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Jesus is speaking and he describes that, or Paul is writing and he describes, this is what happened because Jesus came and rose again. This is what we have. Verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. The fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of all who are asleep or of everyone who dies. So Jesus is the first of something new. For since by a man death came, he's speaking about from Adam as sin came in, death comes, and by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all will die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Each in his own order. Christ is the first fruits, and after that those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when, he hands, when Christ hands over the kingdom to God our Father, and when he's abolished all rule and all authority and power, he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be abolished is death. So in this passage, we have kind of this deeper idea of what happens as, towards the end of days, and, and what we have is this picture of Jesus being raised from the dead as the first fruits. He's paving the way of this new humanity that you and I now in Christ will experience. That we have this eternal existence. We have this renewed new life that comes from Christ. And notice there's some language that ha- talks about now and what is yet to come. And often when we read scripture, there's this example of something that we experience here and now. It's also a foretaste of what is to come. So we see that Christ has already been raised. There's a new reality that we talked about two weeks ago. We have a new humanity. We're living under a new uh, existence. But what's yet to come? Ultimately, once and for all, Jesus will conquer sin and death. And the last enemy to be defeated will be death. There is eternity waiting for us. But we now live in this reality that there's something different about our life today as well. In uh, Galatians chapter uh, 4, verse 7, we looked at this last week, but it says this, because of Christ, you are no longer a slave, but you are a son or daughter. And if you're sons and daughters, you're an heir through God. See, there's a reality that because Christ is a first fruits, the scripture, Paul writes and says he's the second Adam. He's the new humanity. Because of that, we now are part of heirs with Christ. We now have a new identity and we don't just wait for eternity, but we live in light of the resurrection today. The resurrection is the reality that we live under, the world lives under, that the pain, the sin, the curse is over. Now, how many of us, I kind of grew up hearing about heaven and I I never quite got it as a kid where people say, oh, I just can't wait to go to heaven. Because I'd think like, well, there's still some stuff I want to do here. And I used to work with students and I'd always ask them, say, hey, what if you knew that God was coming back tonight or tomorrow, you have 24 hours left to live, what would you do? And some of the students would be like, oh, really, only 24 hours? 
And, and a lot of times they'd say, well, first thing I do is I get married. And I'd be like, why? And anyway, never mind. They were Christian kids. Um, <laughs> some of you, I'll tell you later anyway. But, but we have this idea that, no, there's so much more I want to do. I don't know if I'm ready for God to come back. And, or maybe some of you, your thought is, I just can't wait. All I want is for Jesus to come back. I want this life to be over. Won't it be better? And you know what? We live somewhere in between the two of those. Somewhere in between knowing that our glorious resurrection, being in the presence of God face to face, there's nothing that will ever compare to that. Yet at the same time, we live here and under the reality of the resurrection, we are called to a new life now. And it's amazing. And so he's invited us into this new creation that we live in light of. Jesus says, hey, I'm the first fruits, so follow the way I live. C.S. Lewis, uh, I think it was him who once said that, be careful you're not so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Sometimes we can long for heaven so much that we forget that we are still here in the presence. And what Jesus is saying is, you now, or Paul is telling us, as Christ was raised, that's our end, that's the reality, but we live in light of that reality today. So we have not only a renewed future home, but we have a renewed life for today. The next thing is this, look further down in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42. We also are gonna be raised, and this is now future of a renewed body. This is what happens in Christ. Look at this in verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. We're, our bodies are sown as a perishable body, but it's raised as imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. Our body is sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown as a natural body, but it's raised as a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual one. So also it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living person, and the last Adam was a life-giving spirit. So here's some language in Scripture that's telling us our forever home is going to mean we also are going to have our renewed, raised body. There's a physical resurrection. Now, if you're new to faith and you're hearing this, you think, what does that look like? I don't know. I don't know what it looks like. But consider this. I think we're actually going to have some way to recognize your physical presence from here on earth. Now, some of you say, are you kidding me? I'm stuck with this body. We'll get to that in a moment. But you know, we have this picture of heaven, and it says he saw a multitude of every tribe and tongue, ethnicity under earth worshiping the Lord. How do we know that? If there isn't some sort of appearance. We are raised, there's a physical reality that we, there is a resurrection of our bodies. Christ was the first of that. It's important that we don't think that Christ's resurrection was just metaphor. And there's some people who say Christ, oh yeah, it was like a metaphor that he rose from the dead. No, he physically rose. And it was the first of all, now if you're new to this, you think that sounds really creepy. Are we coming out of the, I don't know. We're raised with a new glorious body. I can tell you this, we're not going to have high cholesterol or bad backs. Isn't that great? (laughs) that's like the biggest amen of the morning for some of you guys we know that there's no more tears or pain or crying or suffering it's all gone but there's something physical about the nature of eternity see I've always had this image of eternity to be like 
We're a bunch of souls floating around somewhere out there. And we all look the same. It's like some sort of brave new world. We're all dressed the same, and we're just kind of lights floating around. And we have that picture of like, oh, cool, you're here too, awesome. (laughs) But the scripture tells us that there's some sort of this physical reality to our eternity, and it's glorious. It's back to the way God has designed it. In his presence, not only is there no separation between us and God, but our relationships with one another have no more sin getting in the way. You know what that means? I'm not judging you. You know what that means? I'm not self-conscious and wondering what you think about me. I'm not thinking, am I good enough for you? That's gone. Because we're in the glorious presence of God and we are in our new, renewed bodies And scripture actually gives us this picture that we have stuff to do. We're reigning and ruling with Christ in this new heavens and new earth. I don't know what that looks like. But there's nothing separating, nothing getting in the way. You're not going by your neighbors and going, oh man, look at that yard sign. You're not behind their Prius looking at the sticker on the back and judging them. (laughs) Not that anyone would do that. If this is true, here's the thing about scripture. If you think of heaven, often, you know, even if you have the reality of the belief that heaven has some sort of new heavens and new earth, so we'll recognize some of it. There's a temptation to believe that our closest glimpse of heaven today is like that beautiful sunset, right? You see beautiful sunset and you say, oh, that's God. And we live in San Diego. We get beautiful sunsets all the time, don't we? I, I, I kind of take it for granted until people visit from the Midwest, and they're like, oh, we're going to go look at the sunset. I'm like, does it every day. Anyway, sometimes that makes, oh, look at the beauty. That reminds me of the Creator. But you know, according to Scripture, the biggest glimpse of what heaven will be like is when the church, when Christians live together in unity. Isn't that interesting? I, I like to think of, no, it's the beautiful mountain, it's the, the sunset, it's all the good things I experience, it's when your little kid is two years old and hugs you, like, that's heaven. And, and sure, those are good things. But according to scripture, how we treat one another, how we interact with one another, is actually the foretaste of what heaven will be like. When there's no more sin that separates us and, and divides us and where we can love one another and we're unified and we're unified under, in, in the presence of God the creator who loves you and loves me more than we could ever know. So when we read through the New Testament and we see that there's one another, there's one another, do this for one another, forgive one another, walk with one another, love one another, unite with one, all of the one another's are telling us that this is a taste of what your renewed forever home will be like. And when we experience that among each other, it reminds us of the glory of heaven. And it also teaches people around us of what God has in store. It's why if you read through the New Testament, read through Jesus' teachings, read through Paul, he talks about it more than almost anything. How do you dwell among each other? It's a foretaste of heaven. In your renewed bodies raised in glory, we're together. 
So we find that because of Christ, we're going to have a renewed home, a dwelling place with God. We have a renewed life that's for now and eternity, and, and then a renewed body. And one last thing to see, what will it be like? What will it look like? Look at Revelation chapter 21. And this is, I, I love how Scripture is put together, because if you start with the Garden of Eden in chapter 1, we have the tree of life, and when you get to the end of Scripture, we have a tree of life intentionally showing us that I, I've talked often this, this is life between the trees where we are now between the fall and between ultimate redemption this is life between the trees where things aren't as they should be but we have this picture that there's this beautiful glorious ending for us that lasts forever he says this I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There's no longer any sea. Um, surfers, before you get worried about that and say, wait a minute, there's no sea in heaven? Um, a lot of revelation is symbolic language and sea often represented in scripture, a place where the depths are and where uh, kind of evil comes from. So most likely this is not talking about physical sea. This is that imagery of where evil comes from. If you read the rest of the book of Revelation, you can see where death is cast in and done away with so probably has to do with that so surfers it's okay and uh, i saw a holy city the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride adorned for her husband so we see here there's this holy city of god being what united in this new heavens and new earth verse 23 i mean verse 3 and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is, se is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Friends, we have this picture of, of eternity, of, of heaven, of the future, and God is making all things new. And it's, the dwelling place of God is with us. All of our tears are wiped from our eyes. There's no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And here's the thing. It's not going to be a boring place. We've talked about this before, right? Uh, you've heard me say that when I have the image of heaven, and I think that it's just sitting around singing for 10,000 years, and after we've been there for 10,000 years, I'm going to sing for 10,000 more. Some of you, that's awesome. Others of us, we just think, that's a really long time to sing. That's a lot of singing. Are you sure? Can you sneak out the back for like, you know, a thousand of those years and come? Like, what does that look like? <laughs> and, I, and I don't know. I'm sure when we're in the presence of God, we're not going to be wondering how much longer is this sermon going on? <laughs> right. We're in the presence of God. We're not thinking, are we going to sing all the stanzas? <laughs> we're in the presence of God. We're not saying, why don't they, where were the drums this week? <laughs> why are we singing another hymn? Or that's because there's different venues. So you go to your preferred, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't think when we're in the presence of God and there's no more separation and there's no more sin and there's nothing that's causing all this relational conflict that our thoughts are about what I need to feel satisfied at all. Because once and for all, we have everything we need fulfilled once and for all in the presence of God. 
We get a taste of it today in Christ. But we'll experience it fully then. And he's making all things new. A new heaven, a new earth, dwelling with God in the garden. It's this beautiful picture. And Jesus makes it possible because he came. You know, one of the other imageries uh, from Revelation that I love and, and, and towards the end is when Jesus comes and they have him coming in this, on this white horse and he's just, and it says, with a sword coming out of his mouth. Again, don't take things too literal. <laughs> but he's coming with power and he's gonna defeat death. And his tattoos on his legs, it's in the Bible, not me, and... <laughs> Where it says, King of kings and Lord of lords, tattooed on his legs. In other words, make no mistake who I am. I'm conquering death once and for all, and I'm here. And it reminds me of one thing. I want you to hear it today. And this goes back to Christmas. Notice the great lengths that our God goes to because of his love for you and for me. He created this world and he said it was good. He created mankind and said it's very good. And as sin entered in, he said, I'm gonna do everything I can to be a God of justice and order, but to make sure that they can be in the forever home with me. Friends, if you're here today, we want you to know that the creator God has prepared a place for you to dwell in the forever home because of his great love for you. If you're here today and you're experiencing the pain that sometimes we think of of the season, maybe you experience the effects of just disease and sickness and things broken and not as they should be, our God's saying, I'm inviting you to an eternity. And I want you with me. It's gonna be so much more glorious than anything you could imagine. And you're gonna dwell in unity with one another and with me, and it's amazing. And I did this for you. So I'm going to invite the worship team to start making their way back up. And I'm going to take us back to John chapter 14 because Jesus said, when he said, I go to prepare a place for you, and he said, where I am, you will be. And Thomas, one of the disciples, said, well, Lord, how do we even know? If you're going, how do we know how to get there? Which I love Thomas's questions. It's actually really practical. And Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse 6. He said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In that moment, he said, if you want to know the way, Thomas, it's through me. Through my coming to earth, dwelling among men, giving my life, and being raised again, physically raised, I conquered death and sin, and I invite you to that same story. So we're going to end our time here, and, uh, you know, Christmas starts, uh, our Christmas is a week away, and I want to challenge you with something. So this week, for those of you who are thinking and preparing for Christmas, there's some who are already bought all the gifts and wrapped them in my house. I, that means I'm done, right? <laughs> Others of us haven't thought about it yet, but we know it's coming. <laughs> but this whole week, perhaps you're going to feel the chaos or the urgency of getting ready for Christmas. And, and don't feel shame in that. I love Christmas season. I actually love the chaos of it. I love giving gifts, and I love cookies, and I love this, this season. I really do. But I want to challenge you with something. When you feel the midst of that, oh no, there's so much to do, could you just for a moment pause 
and remind yourself, oh God, you came into this. You entered into this for this moment. And let every moment of your week where you have too much to do or every moment when all of a sudden your house is full of people and you go, oh, there's conflict, look. (laughs) Would you say, Lord, thank you that you entered into this for me. And thank you that there's a forever home that's so much better than anything we can experience here. So I want to invite you, would you stand with with me and with the band and we're going to remind ourselves of the story of Christmas in this last song. We're going to remind ourselves of of what Jesus actually did and what he actually accomplished. And I want you to ponder it, to reflect on it. And let this story transform you today as we prepare to celebrate his arrival next week. And we look forward to his second and ultimate arrival in the future. So let's As we end our time here again, uh, this week we want to invite you in that would you just take the challenge to reflect on the story and allow God to just shape and change your heart as you think that he did all this to prepare a forever home for you and for me. And not only just for us, but for our community outside here, to the ends of the earth. It's a heart of God that all will know and be invited in. There's many rooms, there's plenty of room, and we're invited to that story. So this week, uh, or as we end our time here, we just want to pray, and I want to just uh, let you know one piece of uh, family news as far as it's the end of the year, and want to invite you to, uh, we always end our, our giving year. For those of you who are part of Seacoast, December is typically the, the month that's our biggest giving month, and we want to challenge you with that. If, if God's speaking to your heart to continue to support the ministry of Seacoast, if you're a guest, this is not for you. You're welcome to give, but you, uh, we're not asking for it from you. But those who, this is your church home. I want to help, ask, invite you to help us finish strong this year. And for us, we want to remind you of our commitment is to use every bit of what you give. Uh, we want to be good stewards of it, and we want to use it to bless the community here, the community outside of us, to the ends of the earth, that more may know Jesus and experience life in him. And we want to commit and let you know we're committed to doing that as responsibly as we're able. So uh, we thank you for for the gifts you give. And would you close our time and we pray uh, as we close out kind of our, our last Sunday morning together of this year. So God, we thank you for the reminder of this song of what the story of Christmas really is. That you're a God who stepped into the darkness of this world, the darkness of our own hearts, and you experience the life the way we experience it. And Lord, that even when you were put in that grave, that you came back and you conquered sin and death. And God, you are preparing a place for us now and yet to come, our forever home. God, I thank you for your great love that you would do that. Pray that you speak to our hearts this week. And God, would you take the gifts that we give as a church? the financial contributions and use those, multiply those to help people here and to the ends of the earth know about you, Lord. 
And God, for all the hours that people give of volunteer time, of sacrificing their time and their talents, Lord, would you take that and multiply it as well? That more and more people will know you, will experience that fullness of life in you. And we thank you that we can be a church community that gives a foretaste of our forever home. So we thank you now. We pray for the week ahead. And Lord, as we celebrate your arrival next uh, Saturday night, Lord, we pray that this week would be one where you draw hearts to you, draw our hearts to you. We thank you and give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming out here this morning. We love spending our morning with you. Say hello to the person you said hi to earlier. Get to know them a little on the way out. And we look forward to seeing you Christmas Eve. 3.30 and 5, they're both candlelight services.